this is Craig Brown, and welcome to Passages. Passages is a space to explore Bible passages used for preaching, reflection, and prayer. My hope is that Passages will shine a unique light on text used for preaching at the First Free Methodist Church of Seattle, or for anyone looking to dive deeper into the Bible. Today's passage is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 to 17. It's the basis of the sermon at First Free Methodist Church on Sunday, February 25, 2024. It's part of our series called Practice Makes Possible, as we discover how to encounter Jesus through holy actions. Let's turn our attention to this somewhat well-known text of the Apostle Paul in the pastoral epistles, 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse 10. I'll be reading from the New American Standard Bible in its 2020 revision. Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystria. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all that the Lord rescued me from. Indeed, all who want to live in a godly way in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, but evil people and impostors will proceed from bad to worst, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things that you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is beneficial for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be fully capable, equipped for every good work. This Sunday uh, sermon on February 25th is going to be focused on how we use the Bible as a means of growing and developing our spiritual life, our life in Christ. And so we, of course, would look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse 16, with this very well-known passage of Scripture where the Apostle Paul says, All scripture is inspired by God. It's one of the most important verses in the New Testament about the nature, meaning, and purpose of scripture. But I want to talk about this whole passage in context. So for that, I'm going to go back to verse 10. And the exhortation here of Paul is to Timothy. Now, Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy is part of what we call the pastoral epistles in the New Testament. And what we mean by pastoral epistles, these are letters that are written to a single person rather than a group of people. So 2 Timothy is one of these pastoral epistles. And in this case, the letter is to Timothy, who Paul left in charge of the church at Ephesus once he departed. Now, this is a larger cosmopolitan port city. And Timothy, of course, being very young at the time when he was entrusted in leadership in Ephesus, has sought to find a way to embody the kind of leadership that he needs to have in this very, very diverse place. Ephesus is home to one of the ancient wonders of the world, the Temple of Artemis. It is a community that has a Jewish population in it, but is, of course, dominantly Gentile. Ephesus, if you are unfamiliar, is on the western coast of what is today Turkey. Now, Paul, in this passage of Scripture, points Timothy back to how Timothy has learned from him. Notice verse 10. 
Now you, that's Timothy, followed my, that's Paul, teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love. He lists off all of these ways in which Timothy has seen Paul embody so many of the things that he hopes Timothy can learn from to draw closer to Christ. And included in this are his persecutions and his sufferings. And he cites three different episodes at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. And you can read about each one of these places in the book of Acts uh, as it describes some of Paul's journey. And Paul talks about how the Lord rescued him in all of these. Now, two of these episodes uh, resulted in stonings where the apostle barely escaped with his life. In one instance, Timothy was actually with him when this happened. On two other instances, this happened on missionary journeys where Timothy was not with him. But Paul's relying on the fact that he's conveyed in story, in the way he shared himself, and even Timothy's own eyewitness about how he's watched Paul and how Timothy now has been placed in a position of leadership where it's his imitation of Paul or learning from Paul that can be so very helpful to him. He says in verse 10 at the beginning, now you followed my teaching, so on and so forth. So Timothy is, has honored Paul as a place as his mentor, if you will. And that's a key passageway for us here, to value the teacher-apprentice relationship in discipleship. You know, Paul is attempting to shore up Timothy's faithfulness and leadership, and he's speaking of how Timothy has learned from him. This one-on-one relationship is important in our growth in Christ. Paul was Timothy's mentor, his leader, his guide. As I opened up my own pastoral ministry 30 years ago, uh, that person for me was Bruce Warner, who taught me and gave me a sense of what it meant to pastor a congregation in the early days of my ministry at the the ripe age of 26 years old when I thought I knew everything. (laughs) Bruce was patient, kind, and in many ways as I reflect on Bruce and my love and affection for him, it so much resonates with what Paul writes here that I did in many ways follow Bruce's teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, persecution, perseverance, and even persecutions. I'm so thankful And over these years, I'm so thankful for those that I've been able to teach and to share my ministry with and the ways in which they have been formed by God's Spirit. I'm so thankful for the ways in which I've been the apprentice and the ways in which I've been the teacher over the the years. And so I think we all need to find our way to name and remember our teachers and at the same time still look for those that God has called us to teach as well. We now turn to verses 12 and 13 in this particular text. Now, Paul here is going to elaborate on persecutions. This is where he kind of left off in the verse we just ended with a moment ago in verse 11. And Paul says, Indeed, all who want to live a godly way in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Well, let's be honest. These verses, verses 12 and 13, are a little troublesome. And they're often overlooked in this well-known passage way down in verse 16 about how all scripture is inspired by God. When we read that verse now in its context, it, it changes uh, a bit of how we read it. We'll get into that in a minute. But Paul's making it clear right here that all who want to live a, in a godly way in Christ Jesus. Now, who is that? 
Now, ultimately, that should be for every single person who calls themselves by the name of Christ. This is what Paul was speaking of in verse 17 at the end of the passage, where he says that the result of of, uh, using Scripture well is that the man or woman of God may be fully capable, equipped for every good work. This is the way of righteousness Paul is talking about here. Now, remember, the word for righteousness in the New Testament is the same word as justice. They're the very same word. So in a sense, what Paul is arguing for here, not only in verse 12, but also in verse 17, is that this way of living as the presence and embodiment of the body of Christ in the world is going to lead us into, well, persecution. Paul says that anyone who seeks to do this will be persecuted and that there will be hardship. Paul's just talked about how he himself faced persecution and hardship. Now, verse 13 takes us into a space where Paul talks about how evil people and imposters proceed from bad to worse. There's an inference here in these two verses that for the follower of Jesus, persecution and suffering are going to result, but for those who are evil people and imposters, it seems like they're going to get off the hook, if you will. Those who seek to live like Christ then, persecuted, while those deserving of persecution in many ways in our own mind do not face that kind of persecution. Now, Timothy found an interesting way in which he embodied this over the years. According to the history and tradition of the church, it tells us that Timothy himself died in 92 AD, and he was attempting in this episode as it's recorded to stop a cult parade for the Roman god Diana, and he stood in the middle of the parade route and proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he was stoned to death by the crowd. You see, Timothy's learning, learning from the results, and in many ways looking at Paul's ministry that, that had the great blessing of the Spirit of God leading people to salvation, but also engendered persecution as Paul proclaimed that message at times in a very unpopular way. Well, Timothy's learning from that as well. So this opens up a key passageway for us. It's so important for us to hear and pay attention to. The fruitful results of ministry are often unexpected. In our consumeristic mindset of modernity, we expect an ROI, in other words, a return on investment, profit, and net results. Oftentimes when we look at a church and we look at how a church is thriving, we look to see, is its offering plate holding more money? Are the pews holding more people? Is the building holding more stuff? We think of fruitfulness in the life of the church in terms of expansion, growth, profit, net results, and certainly those do come from time to time. But what Paul tells Timothy here is somewhat of the opposite, that if you seek to live a godly life, you'll be persecuted for that. So we have to remember that the gospel is an offense. It's an offense to those who are perishing, those who are in power, those who ensure the status quo. And so seeking a fruitful outcome has more to do with how Christ is formed in us. Whatever may come from that, whether it be dynamic and systematic growth or persecution, That's the fruitful outcome more than just any focus on that return on investment. In verses 14 and the beginning of verse 15, 
we understand Paul's message now kind of uh, getting some lungs here. Not only tell him in verses 10 and 11 to learn from him, Paul tells them in verses 12 to 13 to learn from the results of that work, which is oftentimes persecution. But in verses 14 and 15a, the beginning of verse 15, Paul says that there's a way in which Timothy must learn from legacy. Now, verse 14 brackets a new section of the text. So verses 10 through 13 are one, and then verses 14 to 17 are another section. And you can kind of see how that works if you look at verse 10, and it starts with, now you, Timothy, followed by my teaching, conduct, so on and so forth. Look at verse 14. You, however, continue in the things you've learned. So there's this way in which there's two exhortations here where Paul speaks to Timothy in the second person. Now you, in verse 10, in verse 14, you, however, so we kind of understand that there's a little bit of a shift going on here as we move into verse 14. Paul's exhortation for Timothy is to be grounded, he says in verse 14, in the things he has learned and become convinced of. So Paul's inviting him here to be, a, is to be rear-looking, to see the continuity of God's faithfulness and grace to him over the years, knowing from whom, he says, you have learned them and that from childhood. And we're going to get to the other part of that verse in a minute. But notice where he says, knowing from whom you have learned them. So Paul here is speaking of Timothy's upbringing. In other words, those people who helped form his life up to this point, Paul, of course, being one of them, but he's making reference to his Jewish grandmother, Lois, his mother, Eunice, that we know their names from earlier in uh, Paul's pastoral writings to Timothy, that these two Jewish women, his mother and his grandmother, were responsible for teaching him the Jewish faith. So this is Paul, who Paul is talking about here in verses 14, the beginning of 15, knowing from whom you learned them. How did you learn these truths? How did you grow in them? How did you become the person you are? Now, Timothy, we know, had a Greek pagan father. And so is the Judaism that he learned was covert. His two maternal figures in his life, his mother and his grandmothers, are the grandmother are the ones who taught him. We know Timothy grew up in a Greek pagan household because when he met Paul and first began to engage in ministry, Timothy was uncircumcised. And so uh, it's an episode in the book of Acts, you can read about how he went through this process of circumcision and became a, a proselyte, if you will, to Judaism. And there's a whole conversation about why Paul asked Timothy to be circumcised as an adult. Uh, we won't get into that here. But suffice to say that, that Timothy learned about Judaism before he was even circumcised into it. So there's this way in which he's inviting Timothy to look back on his life, to look back on the legacy of these two women who had such a powerful, formative focus in his life, and to understand that God has been at work in his life all along. And that's a key passageway for us, that the past is a guide and foundation of God's work then and into the future. You know, a, a charge hurled at people often is that they live in the past. Now, living in the past is not what I mean here, but the past, our legacy, is a trail of God's mighty hand, and it's a guide into the future there are so many places in the Bible where there's this reflective moment of looking back on the great things that God has done. And there's no better place to look for that, for example, in the book of Psalms, 
we find the psalmist again and again and again referring back to the great and mighty acts of God so it can begin to frame how they behave in the present. It helps us understand this consistent way that God has been at work and is at work in us and through us. So it's really not so much about living in our past or about our past itself, as much as it's about God's power at work in our past. And now we finally turn to these last couple of verses, the end of verse 15, 16 and 17 of this text. Paul has said some important things so far. First of all, that Timothy has learned from Paul himself, that Timothy has learned from the results of his ministry, which at times means persecution, and that he has learned from legacy. And now Paul helps him understand that he has also learned from Scripture. What is it that his grandmother and mother, Lois and Eunice, what is it and Paul, what did they do to lead Timothy to faith and leadership? Well, the end of verse 15 helps us. It says that they shared with him the sacred writings, this is the end of verse 15, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. I wish we had enough time to just spend in that sentence because it really helps us understand what the scriptures there are to do. It says that he was trained and taught and, and had the experience of being shaped by the sacred writings. This is an unusual way Paul's chosen to say this um, because it doesn't have the definite article in it. The translators oftentimes put in the sacred writings. That's what the definite article is, is the. And it's doesn't say that in its original Greek. It just simply says sacred writings. So what sacred writings are we talking about here? Is it the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures? Most scholars agree that's likely the case. Keep in mind that most, if not just about all of the New Testament, hasn't even been written yet. So this long sentence helps us understand what the end or the purpose of scripture is. He says, the sac sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom. So the writings help us have the wisdom that lead to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. This is the key to understand the two verses that follow about what the role and the place of scripture is scripture's point, its purpose, its end, its telos, is to lead us to Jesus. So with that in mind, we can move to verse 16, where the apostle then says, all scripture is inspired by God. Now, when he says all scripture, uh, there's a little bit of discussion about what that means. For me, as I read it, I, I believe it's the totality of it, all of the witness of Scripture. In, in other words, it's more than the sum of its parts, that there's, a, there's um, a narrative through all of Scripture that points us toward Jesus. And he says that it's inspired. Now, this word is really uncommon throughout the Greek-speaking world, so it's unusual that Paul would use it here, but it's important. It's, it's critical to understand the text. The word inspired literally means God 
breathed. So that scripture, what Paul's trying to say here is it comes from God. It's the expression of God to us. Remember its purpose, to give you wisdom, to lead you to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And then Paul goes on after that when he says all scripture is inspired by God. In other words, breathed by God. It's beneficial and it's good. It has value to do four things. And they're in two groups, the first two and the second two. The first two are about orthodoxy. In other words, right teaching. And Paul uses a positive word for this and a negative word for this. So the first word he uses that's beneficial for teaching. In other words, the things that we know and believe and affirm that point us to Jesus. And the second is the negative word, rebuke, that which is leading us away from Jesus. That's what leads us away from our notion of who he is and how he is at work in our life. So right belief is a matter of forming what we do believe and what we need to step away from, positive and negative. Now, the second two words it says, are for correction and for training in righteousness. Now, this doesn't have to do with orthodoxy, right belief. This has to do with orthopraxy. In other words, right practice or the right doing. And this time, the positive and negative are reversed. Like the first time in orthodoxy, he says teaching first. That's the positive word. Then rebuke. That's the negative word. And then as he gets to the next two words, that order is reversed. The negative word comes first. Correction. In other words, that is a, a correcting of behavior or practice. It doesn't have to do with uh, changing a belief. It has to do with changing that which is done. And the second part of that is the positive word, training in righteousness. So the idea here is that scripture is useful to do four things, to help form right belief and right practice, both of which point to Jesus. Remember what we read in verse 15, that the purpose of scripture is to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So in verse 17, the apostle explains why this is so important. So that we are fully capable, equipped for every good work. Notice that we're capable, equipped for every good work. The point of Bible study is not knowledge. It is to be capable and equipped for every good work. Does that require us to have a sense of knowledge? Of course it does. But knowledge in and of itself is not the point. So the key passageway that opens up for us here, and it's the final one, is that the Bible is scripture that points to the word of God. And that word is Jesus. During my sermon on this particular Sunday, I'm going to talk more about the ways the Bible is popularized as a manual, a rule book, a history book. But what we find in this passage of Scripture is that the Scripture as a whole, in many ways, is intended for something much more than any of those things. What cannot be ignored here is that the role Scripture has in leading us to faith and the implications of that faith. We're led by scripture to Jesus so that we may live like Jesus formed in us. I can't say it enough. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That is the center here. Not a book, not ink on paper. Jesus. Jesus.
when we practice any form of bibliolatry, in other words, the worship of the Bible, what we do then is we demote Jesus to just an example of living by the Bible. The message is backwards then. We must remember that there is only one word of God, and his name is Jesus Christ, and we are called to live like him. If you have comments or reflections, I invite you to visit my website, revcraig.com. Click on News on the upper right-hand corner, and then you'll see a drop-down for podcast, and then click on this week's episode and leave a comment. I also invite you to visit our church's website, ffmc.org, to learn more about free Methodism and how you can connect with our community. For now, I bid you all grace. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.